So, I really like this episode, if it's not obvious. This is probably one of those really rare times where I happen to like both the A-plot and the B-plot, even though they don't really have anything to do with each other. There's a few thematic significances between the two, but for the most part, it's an A-plot and a B-plot. But I like both plots, and, eh, well, one of them gets more time. That would be the A-plot in this case, but regardless, I'm with it. I have to say, it actually pisses me off how unfair people are to O'Brien in this episode. I can get that they're upset, but they basically are just like, look, this is going to happen, and you're going to do this, and you're going to get me this part, but they don't have the part for weeks. Well, that's your problem, not mine. Bye. Where is my blood wine? Where is his desk? And it's just like, guys, you already pour work order after work order on this poor guy. Are you really going to... Whatever. I know. I get it. I get it. It brings to mind something Nog says. The Quartermaster. I've talked many times about how invaluable a good Quartermaster is, and how horrible that job really is. It's, it's one of the positions of, as weird as it's going to sound, imminent power in a military organization of any kind. Hell, even in a non-military organization, the Quartermaster is a huge deal. Whether you're talking about a ship, or a city, or a regiment, or an empire. Obviously, an empire is going to have more than one quartermaster, but you get the idea. So, Nog's comments, well, reach out to the man, get to know him, get to know his wife. That all makes perfect sense, because that is kind of how that works, even in the future perfect federation. Well, think about this for a second. You have 50 people from various ships and stations who have all put in requisition orders. Well, they're all basically the same priority, because all of them are hammering about how it's all the highest priority, especially in wartime. So it's all on the same list, basically. Think of it this way. You've got the A list, the B list, the C list, and the D list. See, the A's are pretty easy. Those are the ones that are truly high priority. The B list is the stuff that probably has some admiralty attached to it. The C list, well, that's more vital systems. But then you get to the D list, which is what we're actually dealing with in this episode. Because it's not actually a system-critical thing. The Defiant can function without those stabilizers or whatever they are. So... You look at the D-list, and it's all just one big list. It's not in order, per se. It's just put in randomly, probably in the order in which the re request was received. Because all those people are all saying it's all the highest. But you get where I'm going with this. There's no metric, really, after you've already sorted them into different categories, to really sort them within the category, not without creating a huge amount of extra work, or basically hiring another person. And even that's not really going to work all the time. So, you have a waiting list. But... You get to know the guy, get to know his wife, get to know his son, get to be friends with him. And like it or not, it is simply human nature to see a request from your buddy and, and think, well, I'm not going to push it up to the C list or the B list, but I'll push it to the top of the D list. And it's funny to me because O'Brien acts like this is insanity when this is just basic human psychology. This is really low-level stuff here. Now, there's also this bit, which I actually really like. I love the humanity of this episode, by the way. It's, it's so relatable. So, Nog mentions that he got this thing out for uh, Lorenzo. He got the desk out for a Lorenzo. And Lorenzo likes to take pictures of himself, or hollow pictures, so probably a full 3D picture, of himself behind the desks of certain captains, including DeSoto, which is from... Um, Tin Man, I believe, and of course Picard, who, if I have to tell you what he's from, you're on the wrong channel. 
Sorry. <laughs> Sorry to inform you of this. This is a Star Trek channel. So, I just kind of like that. There's no ill intent. He's not breaking it. He's not doing anything wrong. He just likes having photos of himself there. I mean, doesn't that sound cool? If you had the option, be real for a second. If you had the option to walk onto the set of Ops at D-Space-9, the bridge of the Enterprise-D, the bridge of Voyager, the bridge of the original Enterprise, even the bridge of the Enterprise, Enterprise, the one from the show, Enterprise. Wouldn't that be cool? It's so understandable, and it's so simple. And it shows that, once again, even though that you know this is the advanced and heightened federation, human nature, the good parts of human nature, are still there. <laughs> right? We still have hobbies, we still have preferences, we still have practices. And that, of course, leads to Nog talking about the Great Material Continuum. Now, what I love about the Great Material Continuum is that it's basically just saying economy. Like, if you just replaced that entire phrase with the word economy, you'd kind of have the same thing. It's the idea that in a large... Now, granted, this is applied specifically in an interstellar manner. But the idea is there's a whole galaxy out there of haves and wants. And the Great Material Continuum is the flow from, ha from have to want. It is, in short, a base economic system. It's it's fascinating to me because he talks of it as if it's a religious fervor thing, and you got to have faith in it, and yet it's kind of hard to have faith in a principle of society. And once again, by the way, we see that the... I hate to keep using this word base. The base concept of trade is something that's almost alien to half of these people. O'Brien acts more and more wigged out by the fact that they have to trade, to trade, to trade, to trade. You know what would really facilitate trading for a thing, to trade for a thing, to trade for a thing, to trade for a thing? If only we had some kind of third value, some kind of third object or, or item that we could all equally value that then I could just trade straight to the final step rather than doing this trading game. Uh, maybe we could call it a, a Kurinsai or something like that. I don't know, just, just spitballing here. I do like how it's mentioned, by the way, that what Nog is doing is being a very Ferengi person in a different way. I want you to remember that, because I'm going to circle back to that. Because I like the idea that Nog is still a Ferengi, but with a moral and ethical tint. He's basically applying the same concepts in a different mannerism. Because nothing he does is illegal. Nothing. He doesn't do anything wrong other than not ask for permission. And let's be honest, that even that is kind of debatable since most of those people probably either weren't available or couldn't give or wouldn't give their permission, excuse me, if they were asked. What Nog does is legally bypass official channels. And thus in so doing, getting things done in well, let's put it bluntly, a better manner. Nog would make an excellent quartermaster, which is why I don't get why he get, became captain of the Defiant. Why did Bashir kill him? Anyways. <clears throat> so <laughs> it's just a, it's it's a nice thing. It's a nice presentation. There's not much else to actually say about it. Uh, I do like how everything kind of sidled neatly into position. And of course, uh, what was it, cousin Gant? Ever need anything more? Look at look to cousin Gant. We'll work this out. Yeah, no, he would make an excellent quartermaster. Holy crap! And I love that last bit. He's got some Saurian brandy, huh? Huh? What's he want for him? This leads us to the A plot. So we go after, what is it, Gul Rasol. 
a lot of people theorize that this is the Cardassian informant from way back in, uh, I guess, season three, I think, was the last time we saw him. It's been a while. You know, Odo's big informant that supposedly died, and actually did die. It's funny that Wayun knew about him. And Wayun decides to defect. Okay. I think I'll talk more about that last. But I do like how he doesn't open up at first. And it's funny to me, because Odo, you know, he says, all you have to do is ask, and I'll tell you whatever you want to know. Because he has to do what a founder tells of him, right? <laughs> I, li I find that interesting, because it's kind of that gray area of programming. They can go against the interests of their masters, but they cannot dis dis disobey a direct order. So if, I, I find myself wondering if Weiyun 5, which was the one on the station prior to now, and the Weiyun we see the most of, if Weiyun 5 had been on the station and Odo had said, Weiyun, I order you to do this, if he would have had to. We never actually see that, and of course Odo would probably not want to do that, but he can swallow his frickin' pride, because good God, man, think about it. Of course, the female changeling came and ruined all of that. Maybe that's part of why she showed up. Anyways. So there's this nice bit where Weyun 6 is like, don't respond. Don't respond to anything. We need to maintain communications block. Hi, Weyun 7. Hmm. Oh, yeah, everything's great. Everything's great, yeah. What I find interesting is this is when all the truth comes out, or most of it, actually. He keeps one last tidbit to himself. I find that most interesting, because his reasons for doing it actually are very logical. He did not want to cause Odo pain. It's a nice little bit. Damar, basically, they have a nice conversation. Can I just say that I love Jeffrey Combs in this episode? I mean, I like him in general, but he just nails the, the unique differing perspectives of Wayun 6 and Wayun 7 perfectly. And... The way he actually holds a conversation with himself is 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 almost stellar. It's fascinating watching the two verbally spar until Demar's like, "All right, enough. I'm gonna kill you, okay? Unless you kill yourself or whatever." So this is this is happening, and and Seven's like, "No, no, no. We can't do we can't do that. We can't kill a founder." And Demar's like, "Well, I mean, we could if you don't tell them." And Demar very slowly manages to talk Seven into the idea of killing Odo. Remember what I mentioned about, you know, being willing to go against the wills? Because he knows full well, if the female changeling found out about this, whew, yeah, she would not be particularly pleased, is a nice way to phrase that. It's also interesting, because this is when Damar starts to really talk about the sacrifices and the pain that Cardassian has gone through for this war. He cannot allow this war to lose just because of one person. No one person is worth that match, unless you're a founder. <laughs> Wayun 6, excuse me, talks about his nightmare. It's a very simple nightmare. I couldn't find where I was going, and I was being chased by hostiles, and it was so strange, and Odo's like, no, no, it's, it's, it's very human, as weird as that sounds. And we also see, this is funny to me, that a runabout is able to take out an attack craft, if you happen to be run by Odo and Wayun rather than uh, Nog and Jake. <laughs> it is interesting to think about. After all, attack craft, as I've pointed out many times before, aren't really known for their power, uh, their, their defensive abilities. Those are effectively fancy missiles, really. 
if you, if you actually think about how they're applied by the Dominion military. No, the big ships are the ones that are built to endure. The little ships are built to kill. I mean, how many times have they used them as ramming tactics without hesitation? So, it makes sense to me. This is something that I'm willing to believe. There's a weak spot. William Six knows about it. He applies it. Bam. Hits a critical system. That's the end. Right? I mean, you, you could be fighting the biggest, strongest dude in the world, but you kick him in the balls, that's going to hurt. You know what I'm saying? So that makes a degree of sense to me. And then the female Shane Changeling shows up. We haven't seen her in a bit. And she does not look well. And this, well, this leads pretty much immediately to Weyoun telling the truth. Now, I want to talk about that first, because then I want to talk about the other thing. See, Weyoun 6 admits that there's some kind of virus that was totally not built by Section 31, that was totally not put into the, chain, the, the Great Link some time ago. Now, what's interesting is Weyoun 6 says that Odo's not infected by it. This is actually not true. He was recently infected at the beginning of Season 6, actually. Everyone else was infected way back in Season 4 or whatever. That's why they're showing so much more signs. Odo will eventually have the same problem. So, you know, that's neat. <laughs> but I bring this up because, of course, this helps to showcase an insight into why Weyoun 6 decided to, to turn goat. Because you could argue whatever you want about, oh, the Dominion is wrong or evil, but I'm not even sure Weyoun believes that. You know what I think Weyoun believes in? Weyoun 6 believes in? The Dominion. And the Founders. All the Founders, from his perspective, are about to die, and there's nothing they can do about it. Except for one. So he immediately rushes off to pledge his loyalty to Odo. What's actually kind of intriguing about this is there is a bit of gray area on exactly what happened before Weyoun 6 came to his conclusion. Was he still totally cool with the war, or was he always kind of leaning more towards, as the others say, being defective? This is kind of left open, but based on the way Jeffrey Combs plays him and the way the direction goes, I would say he was, well, basically a non-evil Weyoun. I'm not saying he was good, but he wasn't evil, and that helps to distinguish him from 5 and 7. And I like that. It's a nice way to showcase it. It's a nice way to, to give some variety to the character. This is also even, this adds to some of the tragedy of the episode because he tells the story of how the Vorta were uplifted by the founders. And it's really, really horrible. And the more you think about it, the worse it is. We've got a situation where there's a species, one, one member of one species decided to shelter a changeling, and in exchange for this, they enslaved them, made them into programmable minions of them, and then, oh, as, as an addendum, don't worry, we'll, we'll make sure that you have two things that you still enjoy the taste of. Nuts and berries, specific nuts and specific berries. Just so you always remember where you came from. Remember, you're here forever. Oh, God, that's messed up. So, the Jem'Hadar try to find them in the asteroid belt, and they don't really have much of an option. So what they do, and this is just insane if you think about it, is the Jem'Hadar start, start hitting the asteroids. There's a lot of asteroids in that belt, probably in the thousands range. But that's just Jem'Hadar mentality, isn't it? Okay, we will destroy every asteroid in this belt for the Dominion. Think about it. So they start, they flee, and Weyoun-6 dies 
And if I might be so bold, that is actually a legitimately touching scene. Where Odo's just like, I, no, no, you have my gratitude. And my blessing. And when and Kira kind of helps him to see, you know, you may d debate whether or not you're a god or not. You don't have to claim that. What you do have to understand is that he saw you as that, and that meant the world to him. Kira even envies Weyun Six. Think about that. I have to admit something, though. I know Odo is an alien mind, but usually I can wrap my mind around alien minds. I don't understand Odo at all here, and I haven't for a long time. He is way too into his people, considering he disagrees with them on almost every point. Considering that they have tried to destroy and kill everything around him, and have actually judged him and put him into into the spotlight, so to speak. It, just, just think for a second. Really think about all of the crap that the founders have put him through. One of the statements I've heard before is that, you know, if it was some insert person you love here, then you would understand. But I never buy that because the reason that person is someone I love is because I've had a lot of time and interactions with them to develop that love. It's not automatic. You know, I don't love my aunt because she happens to be my aunt. I love her because I've spent time with her, because I've interacted with her, because it has been an earned and developed thing, right? I mean, I, I know I'm probably a weirdo for saying that, but there it is. But my point being, Odo hasn't really had a lot of time to develop a true connection to his people. He's linked before, where he was judged, and he's linked with her, where he went on a drug trip, and that's it. And yet he is like, no... I'm super sad that my people are dying. Forgive me. Why? In my estimation, this is actually one of the worst aspects of Season 7, and it's something that legitimately pisses me off, but let's go ahead and save that for when it actually happens, shall we? Let's talk about Weiyun 6. Now, I like this episode. This is a damn good episode. But it's also a huge waste, in my opinion. Weiyun 6 should not have died. I know this is a little bit late in the show to introduce a new recurring character, or regular character. Well, kind of a new recurring character. I mean, it's still Jeffrey Combs, and they've still got him on retainer, and he's still going to be in a lot of episodes. I would have kept Weyun Six alive. You know why? Number one, first of all, I love the idea. Weyun has always been someone who is right on the edge of being a decent person, but he isn't mostly because of how horrible the Dominion is. As I said, most Weyuns are evil. But you take away the evil equation in that and you're left with someone who is neutral, Weyun 6. I love the idea of seeing that differing perspective on it. Of seeing a character actually, I don't want to say being redeemed because it's a different person, but it's more along the lines of a person seeing them in a different manifestation of who they would be. Um, I've talked before about how someone can be a good person and still act in a villainous manner. This is the parallel I talked about earlier. Nog is still a Ferengi. He's just a Starfleet Ferengi. Thus, Weyun Six could have still been a Vorta, but a Federation Vorta. Think about it. Same ideas, same concepts, same approach, same method of getting from point A to point B, but point A and point B are both different from your typical Ferengi and your typical Vorta. And I love that idea. It's part of why I like Nog so much. The rest is because, you know, Eisenberg is an amazing actor. But the point being, 
The point being that I love that concept. It is such a damn waste that they didn't use it. Which means me to point to why that would be fascinating. It would be an excellent way to kind of showcase how the war really started to go against the Dominion. Because that's going to be happening bit by bit as the Federation is going to slowly start turning the war around until, I think, episode 18? Something like that? And all of a sudden they're going to start losing again for like three episodes and then they'll go back to winning. We'll get there when we get there. But the point being, it would be a nice way in-universe to explain how the war starts shifting direction and momentum. A way that makes perfect sense. That's not really a deus ex machina, that fits naturally and cohesively with everything that's established. This only works because we know of the Vorta, we know of the cloning, we know of Weyoun, we know of his veneration of Odo. I mean, all of these are established points. This is a natural development of existing elements. This isn't, and suddenly Bob shows up and says, Lo! And the Dominion were defeated. <sighs> Which brings me to my next point. The final reason I think this would be awesome is because I think it would allow for basically some really engaging character dynamics. We don't really get to see it. The only characters who really get to interact with Wayun 6 are Damar, who doesn't give a damn, Seven, who looks down upon him and spits on him, Odo, who's awesome, and Kira. We get a little insight into what Kira and Wayun 6 would have been like. Imagine... Did not a visitor and Jeffrey Combs playing characters that actually get along with each other. Think about that for a second. Think about how interesting that could be portrayed as and how, how you can change up the dynamic in that manner. We already have someone on the station, admittedly, who is someone they used to know kind of but not really. So admittedly, it's kind of taken the same slot that Esri does. But I still think this would serve as an excellent background element. You can't tell me you couldn't do more with this. They flesh out the Vorta extensively in this episode. I even love the bit where he eats tons and tons of food. We get insight into how they eat. That is to say, you'll notice he doesn't eat the pizza. He just chopsticks some of the pizza off, which is an adorable scene, by the way. We also find out that they basically have no real sense of taste. But they do have a sense of texture. And thus, textures can be enjoyable. That is a wonderful alien idea to explore. A species that only enjoys texture, and thus, so the nutritional value and the texture of the food, rather than the taste of the food. Now, we as humans tend to value texture as well. You know, something slimy or blecky, even if it tastes good, is still going to make us go, ugh, for the most part. I actually know someone personally who can't eat avocados or guacamole because the texture throws her off. But the point being, there's a lot to explore there. Even in just side scenes. Imagine he's just there at Quark's, and there's, there's like an array of food, and he's like, hmm, hmm, this one's nice. Oh, this one's wonderfully grating. <laughs> you know. Such a waste. Don't mistake me. I love this episode. But there's one final reason I think this would be awesome, and that, that reason is Shran over on Enterprise. In many ways, Shran is kind of the Weyoun concept taken to its logical extreme. Someone who is not really good, but kind of neutral, and circumstances tilt him one way or the other. And we see a fairly developed character arc for Shran over an Enterprise. And he kind of grows closer and closer to the crew as time goes on. And as we now know, if they had actually gotten the Season 5 they wanted, he would have become a regular part of the crew. And everyone was in favor. I've never heard someone who was not in favor of that personally. I know, now that I said that, someone's going to disagree with it. But I have heard cast, I've heard crew. Jeffrey Combs himself loves the idea. Manny Cotto loves the idea. That would have been awesome. We could have had that here, Season 7. Wayoon! 
Uh, anyways, I'm sorry. I did still enjoy this episode. I'll see you next time, guys.